Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.3 FM in Uppington. Songes on on SAFM. January 14, 2021, Thursday, two days from now, or if you're particular, a day and a bit from now, Ugandans will go to the polls in an attempt to express their freedom of choice in the political setup. Of course, it has not been without incident, and the protagonists, therefore, rightly or wrongly, are Mr. Robert Kiagulani, otherwise known as Bobby Wine, and of course, could it ever not be the incumbent, Yoweri Museveni, the president of Uganda. Preliminary thoughts, a bird's eye view, questions that are high on Ugandans right now, or concerns that are equally high on Ugandans right now, or even the converse. What is it that is going extremely well that South Africans do not know? Perhaps the world might be better off if it did. Good evening then, Mr. Eshban Kwesiga. Your thoughts, please. Thank you for having me on the show, Songezo. Thank you. Your thoughts, please, on the situation in Uganda right now and just shy of 48 hours before the elections? Yeah, so uh, it's just two days to the election. And um, I think that what's important to know if you, for anybody that's trying to get a, a, a sense and a context of what the Ugandan elections are about is that the average Ugandan is a 17-year-old girl but she's not exactly eligible to vote. So we need to profile who the average voter is. About 40% of the nation are registered voters, and that's just 18 million individuals. Of these 18 million, 20% of them are in cities, and the other 80% are outside cities. So the average voter essentially would be the individual that lives outside um, the city. But the, like, right, like you rightly said, the election has very much been characterized by the contestation between the incumbent, President Yoram Museveni, and the leading opposition figure, Bobby Wine. So an audit initially at the beginning of the year, many analysts had initially at the beginning of last year, or at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, many analysts had anticipated that this year's election would be around the issues such as health and how the state handled the COVID pandemic. But unfortunately, that's not what we have seen. What we have seen is that um, uh, uh, instead, of the, instead of the state or instead of the government articulating what has been their track record, what, what their performance has been like on health, education, and infrastructure, um, they have responded to the campaign by fomenting political violence against the against the, polit- against the opposition politician Bobby Wine and uh, his People Power uh, movement. Uh, so essentially, uh, while many analysts had anticipated that this might be an election, this might be a war against uh, the old and the young, it has very much become a political contestation. Uh, the military using political violence. And, um, and, 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 and civilians uh, mounting a popular alternative politics. Could we just, from your perspective, 
from what we have seen in social media up to the time where it has just recently been banned in the country of Uganda and generally the conversations, particularly among the young people, you mentioned that the average Ugandan is a 17-year-old girl, not quite in a position to vote though. What is the popular sentiment on the ground? Is there a decisive shift from the Museveni era, perhaps embracing the young Bobby Wine or is it a question of the incumbent being so entrenched that it is not foreseeable for so long as he is alive and clearly within his powers to command the kind of security forces to respond in the manner that they do, that he will in fact remain in office? Your thoughts so far? Perhaps call it. I think that it might be too soon to call it or even unfair. Um, what I will say is that Bobby Wine has a lot of, uh, appears to have a lot of support. Um, in the cities and the urban dwellings. But like I said, many of those cities that make up about 20% of the voting population, um, if, if they went higher, they would probably go at about 25%. And I think that in many ways, Bobby Wine is unlikely to win the election for the same reason that his uh, previous um, uh, his, uh, that previous opposition individuals have been unable to win it. It is uh, because the NRM government has... Um, uh, has a very systematic infrastructure that they rely on. But more importantly, in this election, the state has relied a lot on political violence, um, preventing Bobby Wine from moving from one part of the country to another, arresting many of Bobby Wine's um, supporters, candy supporters, agents, and mobilizers. So if I had to call it, I'd say that uh, the odds are really stacked against Bobby Wine, and uh, we might likely see. Um, another well, let's not be prophets of doom too early because I suppose it is a bit early because not one vote has yet been cast. But thank you so much for your insights so far. Please stay on the line, Mr. Eshban Kwasiga, who is our guest this evening on Hashtag African Narrative, a discussion and a focus on the Ugandan elections scheduled to take place on Thursday, January 14, 2021. Our guest is the Head of Development and Policy at Chapter for Uganda, is also a contributor to the newspaper there, the continent at Malian Garden. After the ad break, my dear brother Ashburn, do not be surprised to hear a different voice. I have a co-host this evening, and he will pose one, if not two, questions to you. Twenty-one twenty. After this, we continue. The viewpoint eight to ten p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Right, thank you very much and welcome back to the view- Viewpoint. It's now Mshanganisi Madlongolwana and Songezoma Bekte. We have Mr. Eshpan Kwesiga, who's the Head of Development and Policy at Chapter 4 Uganda. So we were speaking about the Ugandan elections that are happening in the next two days. Mr. Kwesiga, perhaps you were taking us through, you called it and you said, look, you don't see a change in the in the election results, ultimately. Um, that's disconcerting, considering that Museveni has had a 35-year uh, term thus far. What is the movement then, and what's the work of civil society currently in Uganda in ensuring that elections have a free and fair um, chance to ensure that whoever candidate is, 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 is contesting has a free and fair chance of winning? What is the impact of civil society? Is there work of civil society being done? How is that being accepted by by voters in Uganda currently? 
So thank you, Mushang and Izzy. One of the uh, things that civil society has done is what they've traditionally done in the past, is to essentially um, conduct voter education yeah. and to educate um, voters on um, what are their rights and what is the context with when an election like this happens, uh, what qualifies for a valid or invalid vote. That civic education is still very important, and many civil society organizations have gone ahead to do it. Um, but like I said earlier, this specific election has been characterized by a lot of political violence that has been minted and that has been uh, targeted towards Bobby Wine and the people that work with him and for him. So civil society has essentially been that voice um, that has uh, comp- that voice that has complemented um, that voice that has appeared in the media and in the and and and, and outside the Ugandan political context to one violence that Bobby has experienced, but to also remind the state and to remind the military that they are there and that they are there to witness and to track and document um, all the human rights violations that Bobby has um, that Bobby mm. has undergone, and that the state should not assume that this kind of violence will happen in an environment of secrecy where no future accountability will ever happen. Mm. And so in terms of in terms of external observers and observer missions, how's that been received thus far? Is there a view, especially considering that we have the COVID pandemic and movement is limited, what is the is the SADC mission in Uganda? Is there a AU mission, is there a UN mission to observe and how have they been received to ensure that there's some level of transparency in the election? So um, the reality is that, uh, as we've seen in the past, most observers are here to essentially observe. Yeah. Um, uh, regardless of, of their mandate, the, the, the very little um, influence that they are able to exert on an electoral process in a country such as Uganda. So what we've seen in the past is that election observers um, will sit through the election process and write or publish a report that explains whether they feel whether they think that the elections were were free and fair so um really the best way to answer the best time to answer that question will be after they put out their report but also what we've seen in the past is that the government has not um traditionally treated uh, election observatory reports um with the legitimacy and seriousness that they deserve Quick question to you, Mr. Kwesiga. This is Songezo again, and thank you so much for being still here with us. One of our listeners, Ngobile, asks this, or rather makes or proffers this statement. A big part of the population in Uganda see themselves as Museveni's grandchildren, and as such, that familial connection makes him one to likely win. How much of that resonates with the reality in Uganda? Well, I, I, I think that, um, that the president came up with this label, Abazukulu, which means my grandchildren. So in a sense, this uh, familial label has been mostly a narrative that has been um, projected or promoted by the president. Uh, so I think that it might be a bit of a stretch to say that, uh, that very many Ugandans see themselves as, um, as, uh, as, as his grandchildren. While it's true, 
that uh, given the age difference, you know, between the president and many voters, I guess, uh, metaphorically speaking, that that kind of uh, familiar relationship might be um, established. But whether it translates into votes, I think, um, I think no, that it does not. Any of the voters now that would qualify for his grant um, were not yet born at the um, saving liberated the nation from previous regimes. So a lot of the legitimacy that he has, a lot of the legitimacy and a lot of the historical legitimacy that he would have carried over from the past um, is not easily relatable to this new generation of young voters. Mm. I'll ask one final question. I mean, you do say that he liberated Uganda. Of course, we're talking about the Idi Amin and Multan Aborti days, but isn't it amazing how on this continent your liberators become the substitutes for the press, the oppressor of before? I say nothing about Museveni. I have my thoughts, and I wouldn't want you to be in trouble for expressing yours because we know how certain things work. Quick question about Thursday. Do we generally expect Uganda to declare a free and fair election? For instance, the campaign in terms of how it has been held to date, might it in any way be a metaphor for what we might expect for Thursday? Final question. I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to repeat that question a little bit. There are parts of it that I missed. In relation to what has been the climate around campaigning and as we look towards Thursday where the elections will take place, what is generally to be expected from Ugandans by the international community? Could we generally and genuinely expect a declaration of these elections to be free and fair on the day? I'm asking this in relation to what has been to date, the political climate. Um, first of all, I have to say that the events that um, the, the, the events that we witnessed uh, during the political campaign season um, with many political players, not just Bobby Wine but several others, um, being harassed on the political campaign, being unable to access uh, media platforms, uh, whether paid or not paid. Uh, being unable to physically access some of the locations that uh, that they would have wanted to that they would have wanted to campaign in has already created an unfair and unbalanced um, environment for any political candidate. And I should also tell you that one of the guidelines that was passed uh, when 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 the presidential candidates were banned from holding public rallies is that they were asked to only use digital media platforms, TV and radio. They have to pay for those platforms. But uh, the law requires that media houses in Uganda, radio and TV, provide airtime to the president if he needs that, if he needs that airtime to address the, the nation in matters of national importance or matters of national agency. So the president already has a lot of airtime that uh, the incumbent already has a lot of airtime that many of these other candidates mm. are not able to access. So on that basis alone, um, the, the ground is not leveled for political candidates. We have time for just one more question, and I know my brother in Mlanganisi really is itching to ask this one question. Mlanganisi, take it away, please. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I worry about the, the, the democracy, and I worry about what happens. What are long-term reforms that Ugandans are speaking about to not only work on perhaps 
changing the system going forward, but also to to ensure that you get more candidates in. I know Kiza Pesigia, for instance, opted out of this race. And so we're consistently having discussions just about two candidates. Is there discussion around general electoral reform in Uganda? If yes, what is that looking like currently to ensure that you, of course, get a wider participation in? So, yeah, there were previous conversations about um, electoral reform, but um, a lot of that was uh, overshadowed by, one, the presence of the COVID-19 pandemic, which uh, essentially in many ways uh, changed the landscape in which campaigns are held. Definitely. So perhaps in the next... Yes? No, no, I'm saying definitely. Hello? We can hear yeah, you, so perhaps. In, Okay, so perhaps in the next election we might go back to a conversation on reforms. Um, but for now, it's, uh, it's the, the conversation on political reforms is completely absent in the public debate and the intellectual space that discusses um, elections in Uganda. Well, when all is said and done, ours as a neighbor of yours and as a friend and brother and a fellow African nation, we can not just wish you well, but we want Ugandans to do well. We want this process to represent their expression for the rise of the candidate of their choice because all of that predicates itself on confidence, just good old confidence. First, to be a Ugandan citizen, and of course the region and the continent at large will then claim if you will, the free and fair elections, which we hope will be achieved on Thursday for all of Africa, because a failure for one is a failure for all. Similarly, the success of one is a success for all. Much appreciated then, Mr. Eshban Kwesiga, Head of Development and Policy. Chapter 4 in Uganda has also contributed to our very own Melin God, and particularly the section, the continent. 2132, Mr. Mklanganis, let's wrap up the show. Your experience about radio broadcasting. I did hear you mentioning that you have newfound respect for people who do this kind of work. For goodness gracious the cheek i'm the one who gave you this platform you've got newfound respect for me (laughs) look i have the utmost respect for you as an individual in general so i think this just amplifies that (laughs) respect so you must always be nice to your host very kind of you (laughs) um look i think the experience has been an amazing one i do think that it's a it's high velocity high pace uh, which is exciting, but also can can be very nerve-wracking. What I must say, and I think this is something that I appreciate about our country and I appreciate about the institutions that we still have, the fact that we can have open and honest conversations mm. about very difficult topics and difficult subject matter, but also keep um, all institutions that lead us and that share the public good to account. So I think that this platform is a really great one, and I think that the work that you guys are doing with SAFM um, and the SABC in general, especially because of the reach of, of, the, of the station, is critical. I must say, Bungani, and, I, and this for me is important, is that growing up in, in, a, in, a, in an area as remote as Uppington, which is about uh, eight 900 kilometers from Johannesburg. We had very little commercial radio station interaction mm. with, with radio. So I remember the first, my first sort of interaction with radio was two radio stations. 
Umsobo Wenene, which was Radio Closer at the time, yes. and SAFM from an English point of view. Yes. And I think that having grown up with these two radio stations, and of course having seen these institutions sort of sustain themselves to a point where I can sit here as a 32-year-old, is something that I'm very proud of and has me slightly emotional because my father knows, and you go into my father's car and my mother's car right now, you hear SAFM. So this has been a very interesting experience, but I also feel like that I've come full circle in having the privilege to host the show with you. Thank you very much for opening the door to the team Lisejo, to Kanya and everyone else, the technical team, the back end who make the magic happen. Thank you very much. And I'm sure the station manager who listens to our show very ardently, Ms. Kina is smiling from ear to ear when she hears these sorts of compliments coming to the station 2135 Mtembo, thank you very much for your time as we are equally appreciative of those who participated on the show not least our guests both mine and those of Mshanganisi have yourselves a good Tuesday evening everybody be good tomorrow good luck Uganda on Thursday bye-bye